All right, this is your place's call. You are listening to episode four of Theatrical Thoughts. My name is Emily Wyra. And I'm Jessica Fight. And today we are so excited to be joined by Broadway's Zachary Noah Pizer and Adam Rothenberg. Zach was most recently the alternate in um, Dear Evan Hansen as Evan, while Adam was most recently conducting for the recent revival of Company on Broadway. Thank you both so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. We are so excited to finally have you guys on. This is really exciting for us. So thank you guys so much for taking the time. Of course, of course. Zach, are so you drinking you, tea right now too? I am drinking We're all, tea. We all have tea. That's I have food. water. I don't drink tea, but. Oh, oh you Jesse. know, I don't, I don't, I'm not usually a big tea drinker, but his whole family drinks lots of tea. So this is where we are now. Also, it should be said for anyone watching, if you hear little nibbles on bones, it is not us. It is actually our puppy that is right behind scout Scout is five months old and has a lot of opinions on theater. all the things that yeah all things theater and the yes. way we teach it and the way we perform it so she'll probably jump in at some point yes. and share her theatrical thoughts yes but this is her podcast debut so i'm very curious to see what she does i don't know she might she might toot she might i don't know what she's gonna do but it's probably Anything gonna be cute happen. She's precious. Is she named after To Kill a Mockingbird Scout or? Great question. I mean, kind of. Yeah, we when we got her, she was originally Pickle. That was the name that was the, given. Yeah, she was rescued from Oklahoma and they called her Pickle. And we spent a couple of weeks with her and decided that she was not a Pickle. She's way too like adventurous and serious. And the last show that we saw pre-pandemic was To Kill a Mockingbird, the revival, because... I think they had a Monday night show. Yeah, they had a Monday night show. Um, and so we both had off that night. We went to go see it. And that was like the week that everything shut down. So it felt, oh, it felt there right. There she is, there she is. It felt right to name our doggo after, yeah, after the show. Remember that the is- times where we could actually like see shows? Yeah. I don't, shows. I don't. That. It feels like oh, forever ago. Almost about to be a year, which is insane. Yeah. Insanity. Yeah totally crazy but yeah scout has been giving us lots of um joy brings us joy so we are going to keep her um but um yeah she's the best what's it like raising like a puppy in the middle of quarantine like i cannot fathom that um honestly i don't know how we would have done it during normal times just because you know especially with a theater schedule and you don't know like am I going to be gone all day for rehearsal or like am I going to be gone at night with like a a two-month-year-old or two-month-old thing um being able to take care of them and and really provide the structure that they need when they're that young I really am kind of grateful that this happened (laughs) during the pandemic for us we've I've wanted a I mean I've wanted a puppy since I came out of the womb my family's like deathly allergic to dogs so I've actually never been able to have my own puppy but Adam and I as soon as we met like seven years ago I, I was like dogs are the most important thing in my life um and I must have a dog ASAP and it took us this long but I'm glad that we waited until this moment I'm glad we didn't do it at the top of quarantine because if we had done it then we would have been you know with that group of people that just didn't really know what they were doing so we were able to kind of look at all the 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 research that was being done on getting a puppy and how to make sure you don't screw up the puppy in the time and we've been really fortunate that some of our friends in the building um, who live in our complex actually also got puppies at the exact same time so we like all socially distance like on the roof or outside we'll just let our puppies play so it's like the socialization was the biggest thing we were worried about but she's great she's not i don't think we've we, we've wrecked her up too bad as she eats her bed 
<laughs> Over linings of the pandemic. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, we do a 60 second life story with our guests where you basically just in 60 seconds, tell us about your life story. So who would like to go? Zach first? would love to go Adam first. Would like to go first. <laughs> no, I think, I think, oh no. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Um, I'm going to do it and I'm going to set a timer for myself, really hold oh, myself accountable. Even better. Even holding uh, yourself accountable. Over, over here. All right. right. Here we go. So just like my life story, like what? Yeah. Your whole life story. Oh, Don't leave out the awesome parts. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I just started the time and I'm already stressed. Okay. So I was born in Syracuse, New York. I am an upstate boy. Um, I grew up like playing, playing the piano, um, when I was, uh, four years old is when I started, I think, um, I was like really, really into the classical world, uh, really, really into Beethoven and Bach and Brahms and all that stuff, but then secretly a theater kid on the side. Um, and then I went to college. I went to Northwestern where I met Zach. Uh, I studied piano and math. Um, and then I decided while I was there that maybe classical music wasn't it, really fell in love with theater. But then I went to grad school for classical music because why not? Um, I went to Juilliard to do my master's in New York City. While I was doing my master's, I started uh, subbing in Broadway pits. And then I started working uh, full-time professionally in the theater world. Not long after that, I have three seconds left. That uh, My favorite color is red. That's it. <laughs> Hey, okay. that's the best way to end it <laughs> that was great um you want to go um yes as long as you're not worried about scout eating everything yes okay ready second. all right ready go okay so my name is zach um i am the product of um an asian immigrant um and my father who is a jewish white boy from indiana um i grew up in california in the bay area the best norcal um, and I was a terrible theater kid. I really didn't become a theater kid until like high school. I was a swimmer and I was a nerd. I loved studying science. Um, and so when I was just starting to go to school, it became very clear to me that I could only have a couple options that were like interdisciplinary studies. So I chose Northwestern where I met Adam and I studied both um, theater, musical theater, and also biology. I was a pre-med, actually pre-vet, pre-veterinary medicine pointing to the dog that we have. Um, finished both all those degrees, all those things at the school, decided afterwards that I was gonna go to New York City and try it out. Uh, came here, um, have been very fortunate to do some really cool shows in the city, um, such as um, Wicked and um, Sweeney Todd and the current one that I'm in, Dear Van Hansen, where I originated out Ten of town seconds. in Toronto. And then I came here um, and I have a really great dog. Five and seconds. I live in a great place and I'm Three, taking it day by day. Two, I one. think that was good. Okay, I have to start by saying, Zach, that you and Emily seem like you're the exact same person. She didn't become a theater kid till high school. She's a she's a nerd also. She loves science. Yes. So you guys are like the same person. We should talk about where are you going to school? Did, um, wait, is it too early? Well, how, how what year yeah. are you? I'm a junior, so I don't know yet. Um oh, I so wanna be fun. I wanna be in New York or DC, hopefully, but we'll see where I end up. I don't know. Very cool. Love it. Northwestern. I love, it. I love Northwestern, but it's cold. So it's slightly cold there. It is very cold. Sometimes. Yes. Very cold. <laughs> very cold. California boy saying that it's very cold. <laughs> so I'm curious, Adam, as to how you sort of found theater as, I mean, like a classical like upbringing, how that came into your life. Yeah. Um, you know, classical people are really weird about musical theater and have a lot of sort of preconceived notions about its value in the sort of hierarchy of, of different art forms. Um, 
And I always found that so offensive and silly. Like I, when I was growing up playing piano, all my uh, piano teachers would like find out that I was, um, I was like actually acting as a child performer at a bunch of community theater productions. And my teachers were always like, why are you wasting your time doing that? Like, what, what is that? You need to be like practicing eight hours a day instead. Um, and so I just kind of started telling them less that I was doing that. I didn't tell my piano teacher all the theater stuff I was doing. And then I wouldn't tell my theater directors all the classical music stuff I was doing. And then I just thought, why not keep up this charade for the first like 25 years of my life? Um, and just kept at that when I was in college. So my piano teacher, I think to this day has no idea that I was like music directing shows in the theater department. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for me, I, I just have always really connected with um, the community in, in theater. I think like the kind of people that are drawn to theater, um, I've always found them to be more the people that I get along with, the people that I wanna work with. Uh, they really light me up even more than my classical colleagues do. Uh, so that's kind of the, the reason why I spend more of my time hanging out in, in that world right now. That's awesome. That was so cool. And Zach also has kind of, you came into theater in high school. I mean, how did you go from swimming to theater? I'm curious as to how that came about. Yes. Well, I was, I mean, my, so my parents, I'm an only child and my parents from a very young age, um, always kind of, um, showed me the arts like there was a thing called best of broadway that came to town as all the touring shows that came to san francisco and we saw all those starting at like age five and the rumor is that um when i first saw my first show at fiddler on the roof i was five years old at the current theater or maybe the orpheum i can't orpheum i can't remember which one it was um but i loved it so much that i like was screaming for an encore at the end so i've always had that love for watching theater and like watching the art and being an observer of art um but i just didn't even think it was a possibility of doing it until really um, late, late high school when I had a great high school acting teacher who kind of said, you know, let's see, you know, do it. It's fun. My, my friends happen to be doing it. So I was like, I'm going to join in too. Why not? I feel like that's how a lot of theater kids get started is that their friends do it. So then they do it. Um, and kind of one thing led to another and opportunities came my way. And um, I just learned that it really, nothing can really serve that or, or fill that kind of um, serve that same kind of feeling that you get when you're in the limelight and you're singing a song or saying words in front of a group of strangers or loved ones. Um, my senior year, this is, I pretty much everyone on this earth knows this story, but they were doing Les Mis at my high school, obviously. And I obviously played the role of Jean Valjean. Um, and it's cliche, but it was really one of those experiences that kind of turned the whole thing upside down for me. And it was really late in the game in terms of applying to colleges then. So the it shortest Jean Valjean there's ever, there's ever been. Um, but it really was, I was like, whoa, what is that feeling? Never had before, it's amazing. And yeah, so I guess it was a mixture of me kind of knowing that theater existed as in one way as an observer and then really not feeling that bug of being a performer until later on. And when, I, when it caught me, it was like, so there really was no turning back at that point. But I'm still a nerd at heart. I still love, you know, I still love science and I still love, I don't know, studying. I was such, I loved being a student in high school and in college. I just loved it. Um, in quarantine, he has uh, become, he's become the duo lingo king. I think he was ranked 
number one in the world. No, that's not how it works. I've been, I, I used to be able to speak Mandarin pretty fluently when I was growing up and then it went away because that's what happened when you get old. And I decided to pick it back up and finish the course. And it was a really fulfilling thing that I did during um, quarantine. And I'm kind of figuring out how I can continue that, but um, not first in the world, you dodo. <laughs> Hey, something to add to the resume. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, special skills, right? <laughs> Truly. Also, sorry, I had to run away for a second for anyone watching the, the video version. Scout was eating her bed. So we had to just move her to her, her other bed where she'll take a nap. More than one bed. She's really living the high life over there. She's spoiled. A she's a princess, she, yeah. but she's my dog. So of course she's a princess. You know, what can I say? Oh my God, that's amazing. So now you're both mentioning kind of coming into theater through high school. And so you both ended up at Northwestern mm-hmm. and you meet each other in college, right? Mm-hmm. So how did that unfold? Where did you guys meet? Uh, the story. Uh, oh gosh. Um, we didn't really cross paths until junior year. Um, I think we were kind of aware of who each other was because we were both in the- He was obsessed arts. with me, is what he was saying. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so we, I came back from studying abroad and uh, happened upon an acapella show for a group that Zach was in called the Northwestern Undertones. Acapella is like huge at Northwestern, like unhealthily so. Like imagine like Greek life, fraternities, sororities um, times 10, but with theater nerds. Like that is acapella at, at Northwestern. And I went to an Undertones show thought that the tenor soloist was uh, talented and, and maybe decently good looking as well. And we met um, that night and Zach pretended to be on vote. He was on vocal rest actually after that for an audition. So he was like, oh, I can't talk to you, but let me like text you. So he like gave me, my nu- gave me his number and we were like literally sitting across from each other texting back and forth uh, at an undertones party. The that is history. <laughs> that is the story. But I will say that actually one of my first memories of Adam, and I've told you this before, um, but was, I think it was sophomore year. When was Shrek? It was sophomore year, right? Junior year. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. So we started dating officially in like spring of junior, but the winter musical, there's something called the Dolphin Show at Northwestern, which is a huge um, a tradition that's been going on for what, like 85, 90 years? Yeah. And so it's an entirely a, student uh, produced and directed uh, musical. Very cool. They're, they got cool stuff there. Um, Emily, pushing for you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so Adam was the music director of Shrek, but he was abroad in Copenhagen. And I was auditioning for a part in that. Oh, and I remember it was actually very similar to where we are currently at now, where it's like, he, because of where he was, he was zooming in. It wasn't Zoom, that was Skype. Or was it least? What was it? I think it was Skype. I it was Skype. I Skyped into the well, Shrek Zoom really, audition. Because Zoom really wasn't really a thing. I mean, at least for no. the mainstream in no. 20, to 8, 7, 15. That's right. Whatever. I saw your callback for, for Donkey. And I remember being a donkey in Shrek and like singing a crazy song, like jumping around the room and just seeing like a little blurry person on a screen and being like, this is very weird. But of course it was just a precursor to what would then be all of 2019 and 2020. But that was one of my first memories of him. But that that uh, fateful acapella show uh, really kind of was where we sealed the deal. And <laughs> then from there, we really were fortunate to play some shows together actually at Northwestern. Like he was on the keys or conducting um, and I was acting in them. And one of my favorite moments of being in New York, speaking of like our relationship, not just like the two of us, but also just us being in New York here was that we got to actually be Sweeney Todd off Broadway downtown together. I had been in the show for almost six months and they were looking for a sub 
and I had nothing to do with it because Adam is the most talented human in the world. But I remember the current music director there was like, hey, so I'm thinking of asking Adam to be a sub. How would you feel about that? And I couldn't hide. I was like, that'd be fine. That's cool. Like everything's cool. Everything's great. And we got to do the show two times, three times. No, more than that. Really? I can't remember so long. Yeah. But we got to do the show a lot together. And I just remember being that show. I, I'm, I'm sure you guys were like in utero when that show happened. But um, it, it was a very cool experience. And it was like, tiny cast, tiny orchestra. All of us were in this tiny pie shop that now would not meet any COVID restrictions. And it was so magical being able to like experience that with Adam all those nights, literally being like inches away from him from most of the show, like singing, not while I'm around, being a foot away from my partner was just magical. So that was a lot of talking. That's amazing. We just, we're not even here to like respond. We just love hearing all of these stories. So was Sweeney, is that, was that your first show together in the city or? That's- yeah, I mean, I think we, at that point, I was still in school. Um, yeah, I was finishing my master's. So I, mm-hmm. I really came to New York um, first and foremost to do the classical thing and, and focus on grad school. And Zach kind of went, came independently to really pursue the theater thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then it was just a really weird smashing, colliding of, of worlds when um, the folks at Sweeney called and were like, hey, we need a, a conductor sub um, and your partner happens to be in the show. Is that cool? And it's like, oh yeah, I can make that work. That's beyond cool. Yeah, it was, that, a, that was, was a very cool experience. It also makes it so that our dream, at least my dream is to like do as many shows as I can with Adam. You know, whether it's touring or here in New York, it's always kind of, I mean, not something that I really say out loud publicly, but I guess I just did. Um, but that's always something that I hope that we get to do more of because it always really warms my soul. That's amazing. I hope that too now. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> I guarantee that when that happens, Emily and I will be in the first row on the first night screaming our heads off. Can't wait. Can't That's wait. 100% accurate. I can't deny it. <laughs> so, so you, when did you guys kind of know that you wanted to go into the arts professionally? Like, was that something that happened for you in college or was that epiphany? Like you came in high school, you knew this is what hmm. I'm going to do. Hmm. You can take that one first if you want. I feel like you were, oh. you're less conventional on that score. In terms of when I decided to go pro- to yeah. become professional? Yeah. Um, so I did like some community theater at the end of high school, like very, very uh, community theater in, in California. And then when I went to college, my, my really first professional show was at a theater called the Marriott Theater, Lincolnshire in Chicago. Um, they do great productions out there and it's actually how I got my card. So really my first big like theatrical break, which actually funny enough, bringing back the story was the reason why I was on vocal rest when I met Adam, because I had the call, final callback for Godspell at the Marriott. Um, and uh, I got my card through that and it was a very, very great, very cool experience. Um, so that kind of was the first time that I feel like I really I even started to think about saying, I'm an actor. Like, this is what I want to do. I feel like- anyone... After you were already getting the paycheck for being yes, an actor. <laughs> but so the, I mean, something that you'll find, and it, it probably has something to do with my lack of confidence that I, you know, had, and, you know, we all continue to work on. But um, I, it took me a long time to really say, like, I am an actor. This is what I do. Even though I had, 
two years into Wicked, I was still having a hard time saying that when someone said, what do you do? Because um, there's just something that's around there, a little stigma around saying I'm an artist that someone might, you know, pass judgment on you immediately. And so I remember that, but I remember, I'm going on a huge tangent here. I remember um, being in Godspell is really the first experience that I had where I was like, oh, maybe I could actually do this. Like, maybe I could actually say that this is what I could do. I love doing this. I can get paid to do this and get health benefits. How crazy is this? Um, so that would be the first for me. Yeah, I think for me, I probably, I don't know. I I feel like we all have, you know, to some extent, the imposter syndrome. Like, I feel like we all experience that at some point in our lives where we're in a situation that seems just way above our our pay grade. And we're like, how did I end up here? I don't, I'm not actually good enough to be here. And I feel like my life has been one continuous stream of, of those events <laughs> where I just keep showing up places where people ask me to be. And I feel like I'm totally unqualified to be there. And yet somehow I'm like there working. <laughs> and so I think with, in terms of working professionally in the arts, for me, it's always something that I've been really passionate about. Um, but in terms of it becoming my career and my job, I feel like those opportunities have just kind of dropped in and, and then all of a sudden I'm there and I'm like, okay, like, wow, this is actually possible. I guess it's kind of similar to you. I didn't realize until I was actually like making a living doing this, that you can make a living doing this. Yes. Cause you hear so much more of the, it won't happen. You know, you're going to get, and it's, it is true that you'll get 9 million no's for one. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it should be said that both Adam and I have had a bajillion botched auditions or, or places that said no to us or shows that we would kill to be in that said no, you know, and, and it's not all just, you know, that's so true, you know, yeah. colored glass, rose colored glass is not all that. Um, but it does take a bit of time to kind of acknowledge that and to say, this is what I want to do and what I'm going to do. Yeah. You guys are both kind of speaking to this. I mean, the hardship and the kind of lack of confidence. How do you cope with that in your daily life of making sure that you don't kind of get swallowed by that lack of confidence and come very let, confidently? <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know if we figure out a good a good way to deal with it. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah, that. no, it's it's hard. I mean, I feel like it's there. I think a lot about. Um, actually, maybe you should probably tell this story about the the Martha Graham quote from Peter Scolari. Yeah, so when I was at Wicked, I was having, uh, I had that imposter syndrome because I was fresh out of school. Um, I couldn't believe it. When I got that call, I asked my agent, I was like, are you sure they have the right Zachary Noah Pizer? Because there has to be another one out there. I cannot believe that this is true. I had auditioned for the tour um, and I got a call that was like, so you're gonna play Bach on Broadway. And I was just like, I had no idea, I couldn't understand. So the entirety that I was there, and I remember Peter Scolari, who is, um, I don't know if you guys would be familiar with his work, but he is a very highly esteemed stage actor, film actor, TV actor. He's done pretty much everything under the sun. Um, and he had this quote that he had hung up that I'm going to screw up in terms of who it came from. So it's from Martha, it's to, Martha Graham yes, to Agnes DeMille, Demille, yes. who's like a- Two choreographers. A, yeah. Um, and it, essentially in it, it was saying, I think Agnes DeMille was reacting to a bad review that she got and she was so disheartened and Martha Graham, they ended a conversation, Martha Graham sent her a letter and a correspondence of some manner that essentially said, talked about this idea of a blessed unrest. That's what it was called. We all as artists live in this kind of limbo land of have a blessed unrest where you're never really fully satisfied 
but that's okay. That's part of what it means to be an artist. And the other big thing is that it's not your job to assign quality um, and, and value to your work. Let other people do that. So as in, I can't say, oh, I can't do this. That's, 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 that's not fair. That, that feeling, that anxiety is part of the blessed unrest that you have to live with and figure out how to tolerate in order to continue to be that. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that kind of sums it up for yeah, me whenever I think I'm, the, yeah. So I guess the, the short answer is the only way to embrace the lack of, or the only way to deal with the lack of confidence is just like embrace it and accept that it's, that voice is always going to be there. Which and, of course. And enjoy that, the fact that it might actually bring uh, some benefits to your performance. Uh, and it's, it's going to be there whether you want it to be or not. <laughs> but it's yeah, always a, yeah, it's, you continue to think and learn and I, both of us can have a lot longer to go on that journey. And mm. I think forever will. Yeah. That. And I think that's such a relevant thing to talk about because on social media, you'll only ever see the things that people, when they get accepted, no one's going to like post on Instagram. Oh, guess what? I didn't get into this Broadway show. Yeah. yeah. I think talking about it makes people feel like they're not so alone. Like, Oh my God, why didn't I get into this show? Like, why am I terrible? So it's well, definitely the thing, the thing that, that I'll tell you that I'm really thrilled about. I mean, it, it, social media, we can talk about that forever too. gives me a lot of anxiety as well. Um, especially as it pertains to theater and, and our industry. But the thing that I will say that I'm so impressed by and love about your generation, because <laughs> we're different generations, you Gen Zers, is that you are willing to share that anxiety and you're willing to share those bad moments way more willingly than, than our generation ever was. And yeah. that's so refreshing. I mean, Adam and I have been saying what you said, Jesse, about you should be able to call and talk to your closest acquaintances, acquaintances, just, just peers about like, yeah, I had a terrible audition and it didn't go well and I'm learning from it. And, and just hearing that is something that will give you comfort and give the other person that you're telling that comfort to, to say, oh, everyone is in it together. Nobody has ever batted a hundred. You know, no one's ever gotten every single audition. And if they have, God bless the unicorn that they are, but 90 million, 99, 99.99% of people are not that way. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I'm speaking on behalf of Emily and myself. We've <clears throat> definitely had many of those moments where not even just in theater, just in life, yeah. So normalized talking about it, like it really just makes people feel less alone. And like, I'm speaking on behalf of Emily myself, and I know that she would agree with this, right? Yeah. Very safe to say that. I mean, it's very easy. Like you guys are saying, it's so easy to kind of fall into the trap of, well, my life should look just like this one. And that's just not yeah. the reality. You don't yep. see everything. I'm totally. A hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So switching gears a little bit. Um, can you tell us what about the musicals you've gotten to work on most excite to you? Ooh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I think the, for me, so I, I didn't mention this in my six, 60 second story. I realized I didn't even say like what shows I've done. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, so I, the, the two big ones that I've spent kind of the most time doing were, I was on the national tour of Miss Saigon for a long time and then came back to New York to do the Broadway revival of Company. Um, and I think in, in both of those cases, it's so cliche for the music person to say like, oh, the score, but honestly, like the score, like it's, uh, I think in both cases for very, very different reasons, um, it's just a lot of really good, like both of those shows are so meaty 
uh, musically. And the cool thing with Saigon is that it was a big challenge, actually. Like the the key one book on that show is really wearing a lot of different hats. You have to kind of be Jerry Lee Lewis and do a whole rock and roll stint, but then you also have to do really big symphonic sort of class, classical playing. Um, so it really kind of kept my brain engaged the whole time, kind of switching gears into different styles. Um, and with company, I mean, it's Sondheim. Like there's just, you you can play it a million times and every night find something different or find <laughs> that you were playing a wrong note <laughs> that, that you, yeah, has been in there for weeks and you had no idea. Um, it's just like Sondheim to me is, is infinitely complex and spending time with it, the score and getting to know it that way is always, I love nerding out about that. Um, so I think for the, the shows that I've worked on, I've, I've just been really lucky that like musically between that and like getting to play Sweeney Todd, like I've gotten some really awesome music to sink my fingers into, which is super lucky. Yeah, that sounds great. Everything you said. Sounds <laughs> great. Um, uh, the question was, what's my favorite thing that I've done or like kind of, was that it? Um, what about the musicals you've gotten to work on most excites you? Whether got it's it. like the show itself got or it. something. Got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah. Let's see here. I would say that Wicked, just the, the, the newness of it was the most exciting thing to me. Um, the fact that I could call that work, the fact that I had work, all those things, all, all the above. And also Wicked was like, you know, I was also one of those Wicked kids who loved Wicked and continues to love Wicked. Um, and would go back and see Wicked multiple times. I feel like that's one of the only shows that you would ever do. And then I would be, I would be happy to go back and watch it. Not even be in it, just to watch it. Cause it's so great. Um, for Sweeney Todd, I think that kind of what Adam said, I mean, for me, that was really the first time that New York ever trusted me to sing a solo, to kind of like be a, um, not, um, Bach is a great character, but you know, actually like have some emotional depth and all these kinds of things. So that felt like a whole new frontier for me as well. And the music, I mean, Sondheim is, is is bay is god you know he really kind of time is bay he truly that is and, the, i'm quoting you on that until i was just gonna say emily's definitely gonna quote you on that <laughs> yeah i mean you know it is singing not while i'm around every night sometimes twice a day was the most incredible gift to me i couldn't believe that i was able to do that um and it was really one of those productions that i think i'll never be able to forget because it was just so cool and i couldn't believe i was there because i didn't feel cool enough um, and then for, um, I guess, purely New York shows like Dear Evan Hansen, I mean, I, I think that the, the greatest gift of that was, I mean, again, kind of moving along this like new frontier of kind of like leading a show. I never thought that someone who looked like me was my height, was my ethnicity, blah, 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 would be able to lead a show. And <laughs> I'm doing it in a show that I remember when I saw I saw Ben um, do the show like in 2016 or something. And I remember going there and I remember calling Adam afterwards. He was, you were either on tour, you were either were not here or you were at school, whatever it was. And I remember, you know, I went backstage because I knew Ben and I was just like totally in awe. I was just like, I remember thinking like, man, I wish I could do that. Not even like, I'm gonna do it. But it was just like, wow, what he did was so spectacular and so individual um, to him and specific. And the story was so heartbreaking and the character was so complex. And I just remember actually being sad. I remember being like, I wonder if I'm ever gonna get a chance and I don't know if I can do that. Um, 
and then sure enough, I'm doing it here in New York, playing the role. And it, it, it really kind of blows my mind that I get to do that. I think it's a great lesson for everyone kind of with this blessed unrest that don't let yourself be the person to tell you that you can't do something. Instead of me saying like, oh, I can't do that. Put in the work, go for your dreams and let someone else ultimately say, you know what, not at this time, but maybe another time. Because if I had let that dream go, I definitely, and I had just succumbed and said, I can't do that. I definitely would not be here. I mean, of course now we're in a pandemic, but before the pandemic, I would not have been <laughs> at the music box. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many other things, but I feel like that's just kind of popping out of my head, the things that are most special. Entirely quotable, the whole thing, let's be real. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it's incredible. And you originated the role in the Toronto cast, right? Mm -hmm. What was that like? <laughs> so doing the Toronto production versus Broadway, they were just the most different experiences because Toronto was essentially like doing what Adam did with Saigon. It was like a brand new company. So we rehearsed here in New York. We were there from day one together. Like we learned the music, we learned everything as a company. Um, and it really was like a family. I was the only American in the Toronto company in the beginning. And then actually one other American came up to, to, to the Toronto company as well later on in the run. Um, and they were also sweet. And I loved my time in Toronto. Like I miss it so much. It was so terrific. Adam got to come hang out a couple of times and visit and it's beautiful up there. Um, but it was actually really the first experience I had ever had of, of creating a new cast, like an original cast. Um, Cause both with Wicked and Sweeney I had replaced. And so when I came and did it in New York, it was so different, equally fulfilling, equally valuable, um, but just different because, you know, Broadway, there were some cast members that had been on in the show for four years. There were some people that had been in for a year. There were some people that had been six months. And I came in with Jessica Phillips who plays Heidi. Um, and so we came in together, but before I- And how, how much rehearsal time did you get so, for that? So before the first time that I ever really cried and like hugged Jessica Phillips was my first show on Broadway. Like my first matinee that I did was the first time I ever did in So Big So Small, really that embrace. I was like, oh, this is how it feels to hug you. And that's not what the experience was in Toronto. Toronto, we rehearsed that scene at nauseam, you know, over and over again. Um, so it just was different, but um, I loved my time in Toronto and I'm still really close with a lot of the people on that company because um, it was a really group, good group of people. And what they say about Canadians, about them being just like nicer and, and just good humans is 100% true. You heard it here, you heard it here first, folks. Canadians <laughs> yes. are nicer. They yes. are, truly. Anaheim is bay, Canada is bay. That's, <laughs> that's what we're taking away from this. Honestly, I feel like those are key takeaways. Sondheim is bay, and I've never been to Canada, but it just seems like... <laughs> oh, it's the best. Canada is is a beautiful, beautiful place. They're so sweet, and they say sorry, like sorry, sorry. <laughs> and they say, what else do they say? What are the words? Yeah, Zach is known for his his dialects. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> sorry. But it was so cute. They would say sorry in the pro Connor Project, Connor Project. It's just the words. Aww. Anyway... So Adam, I have a question for you, talking more about Sondheim. Mm. So conducting a show is arguably one of the most massive parts of the production. How do you get into the right headspace to conduct? And what about conducting Sondheim specifically is the most exciting or the most challenging? Ooh, I am so flattered that you think think that conducting is, is a, a big thing. It is, you're the 
Captain well, it's, ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I'm yeah. I spend most of the time trying to like tell myself that I, I'm very small when I'm on the podium. <laughs> like not trying to tell myself that, like the whole thing is gonna break if you screw this up. Um, but yeah, I think the the most challenging thing, just conducting in general, if for theater is the number of moving parts. Right. If you're conducting a symphony orchestra, all you have granted there are like 90 people in front of you, but they're all focused on doing the same thing. They're all looking to you to create one unified performance of your Mahler symphony or whatever you're doing. But when you're in the theater, you are one cog in a very, very, very large machine. So there are a lot of different interests at stake as in like the singers are gonna wanna get through it in a certain way. They're trying to like act and also perform things that are really difficult vocally. If there's choreography, how fast can we go that people can actually dance this successfully and not be at a safety risk? Um, and then in like a bigger show like uh, Saigon, it was things like, you know, there is a literal helicopter landing on the stage. If I don't time this out musically correctly, then the whole thing is gonna get screwed up and the helicopter's not gonna come in and it's gonna be my fault. <laughs> like things that actually can happen. Um, stressful. <laughs> just slightly stressful yeah yeah also all you have to do to conduct is learn how to land a helicopter and you're, you're good to go there you uh, go <laughs> no but so I think those that's kind of the global being a theater conductor just managing everyone else's needs um and trying to funnel it through one uh compelling interpretation of, of the show is is kind of the big challenge for Sondheim in particular I think it's that the music is is super complex right there's a lot of harmonic density and often a lot of rhythmic really kind of gnarly stuff happening in the orchestra but he really writes for actors more than he writes for singers and a lot of times with Sondheim really he favors hearing the lyric or getting the comedy or the drama of the scene much more than having somebody that's just going to have this gorgeous golden tone and, and just sing all over the place um, so I think making sure Sure that you leave room for Patti Lapone to land her jokes or making sure that you leave room um, for Katrina Lang to really have an emotional moment in being alive. Really making sure that you're locked into the, the motivations as an actor behind them, I think is, is so crucial in Sondheim. And a lot of people forget that because they're so taken aback by how musically rich it is that they assume that, okay, it's just all about the music. But I think as a conductor, that's that's really the biggest thing is figuring out how to support your cast so that, that so that they can really act their way uh, through the show in a way that feels good for them. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> so then, kind of circling back to you guys working on Sweeney, I guess for you, Zach, as an actor in a Sondheim show, did you feel that sort of support from the score, acting wise, and how did that mm. translate into your performance? Well, so the greatest thing, I mentioned this earlier, but Sweeney Todd, that production, why it was so special is, I mean, any production is special, but the reason why that was special is because usually the cast is what, 40 people, there's usually your principal cast of like 10 or 12 and an ensemble of 30 plus. And an orchestra and an or of 25, yeah. And instead it was a cast of seven, is yeah. that right, six? I think seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think yeah, seven. seven and an orchestra of three. Seven and an orchestra of three. Teeny Sweeney is what they called Teeny it. Sweeney is what they called us. <laughs> Um, and I think that allowed that production to be whatever the heck it wanted to be in such a beautiful way. There was no restrictions. There was no preconceived notions of what it should be because 
when you came in, I remember I saw the show before I even knew I had an audition for it. I went and saw the show like with, with Chelsea and with you. Mm-hmm. Just you. And I remember just walking in and thinking, there's three people, there's the three person uh, orchestra. Like how, this is like the most lush Sondheim score. Like how is this gonna work? And just being blown away at the novelty of the orchestrations and the sound that they were able to produce. Um, and I feel like then being in it, the, the, the beauty of acting in a show that has, um, has not only a small orchestra, but an orchestra that's literally on stage with you is that I could hear and feel whoever was playing and conducting, I could feel them breathing. And that never happens in a Broadway show, right? You're usually separated by, you know, a stage and then a lip and then a pit. And I could literally, if it was Adam, I could hear him breathing. So when I breathe, he breathed to start the next phrase of a novel I'm around or whatever it was. And a lot of that show, I mean, it's so difficult, all the like little epilogues and prologues and all the little Sweeney Todd's that you sing. It was so, sometimes a cue was literally Adam is going to lift his left eyebrow, whoever's playing, Adam is going to let right, raise his left hand. And that is when we start singing. And so just the intimacy of that show was made it so special. It was just it really was unlike anything that really, I've really done. collaborative. <clears throat> I think collaborative, way, yeah. the, the collaboration was way more tangible than that. And time. it had to be right. Because yeah. if, if one person didn't show up to work and was just going off on their own, everyone was sitting, the audience was sitting inches away. So everyone would feel that and hear that and it would have been a train wreck. So it really required everyone to kind of come together, listen to each other and breathe together in a way that I've never had that happen before. Yeah. And I think, as Broadway as a whole, people tend to think that the actors make or break it. And yes, obviously the actors are such a big part, but the show would not happen if it wasn't for everyone in the pit, everyone backstage, Backstage. everyone in the lights. Like there's so many pieces that have to go together to make it work. Absolutely. It is a collaboration on all fronts. I mean, there's a reason why I think, I can't remember the number, but it's something like hundreds of different unions are represented within each theater. It's most people think they're like, oh, in the theater, they're the actors. And then there's, that's, they're the actors. And instead it's like, no, there's actually the stagehands, there's the light crew, there's the sound crew, there's the ushers, there's the, you know, all these different- The front of house staff, the wardrobe, the, yeah, it's a whole village that comes together. Costumes, stage managers, production stage managers. It's it's a whole, whole machine really that that goes goes into one single production. Yeah, and I think that's part of what makes this pandemic so hard too is, you know, everybody is all part of it. So, um, yeah. I guess shifting gears over to pandemic times a little bit, but mm-hmm. always a great time in the era of COVID. But what has kept you guys kind of inspired in COVID times and what's kind of kept you creative? Y'all, it's been it's been literally people like you, like you too. Honestly, like we've the biggest thing that change that we've made in in shifting to the pandemic has we've been that we spend a lot more time now teaching and coaching. Um, and working with folks that are in high school and middle school. And it's been really, really inspiring to see how innovative and creative and unflappable the younger generation is Mm -hmm. in spite of all this. I mean, it's, yeah, it's been so, so fulfilling to, to really see, and especially the the people that we've worked with long-term, like Jesse, we, you know, you've been like doing coachings with me since early in the summer, right? I was just going to say, I worked with both of them and I highly recommend. So (laughs) if you are listening, 
10 out of 10 recommend working with Zach and Adam. Oh, I have a voice lesson with Adam plug. on Thursday, so I recommend. A queen. Thank you. A queen. Thank you for the plug. But no, honestly, it's been the really, really awesome to see the growth um, in other people as performers right now. Um, when, you know, right now for us, that's not really something that we can, that we can do ourselves. So to see it in, in another generation is like super inspiring. And honestly, one of the biggest things that, that keeps, certainly keeps me going. And yeah. I think I would say that Zach would say the same. I would agree. I mean, it's, it's almost like when I see these kids either in a group class for a teacher and private coachings make these great strides over a zoom screen at that age it's almost like it's a it's it's a really good punch to the gut for me being like if these literal children compared to us are able to pick themselves up and make something and put something out into the world and like not be scared and 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 just go for it 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 really kind of is a ding moment every time for me in a good way like a ding that it's like okay then you should absolutely be able to do that as well um I think, you know, you know, truth be told, how do we find, how do we get inspired? It's really tough. Like there have been plenty of times in this pandemic where I have said, I don't want to, I don't want to create, I don't want to sing, I don't want anything because it just makes me sad. You know, I miss what it was. I miss the life that being, of being a performer. I miss the collaboration. I miss doing, I miss interacting with humans on a stage. Um, but then there are other things in life, other creative outlets that have really lifted me up, you know, Adam, my dog, my apartment, my family, um, you know, like picking up skills that I didn't mean to, you know, upping our cooking game, like the relearning Mandarin. It's these things that kind of feed my creative soul in ways that I hadn't envisioned them doing, but we all kind of had to make, you know, the big word pivot. But it's, it's, it's more like, how can I, where can those energies go? How can I use, utilize them? What can I do to still feel like I'm being productive, but without feeling like I have to say, be productive, do something today. Because that for me never works. If I tell myself today, you're going to learn a new song. That day I'm sitting on the couch and eating popcorn and watching TV because uh, it's, it's, too, it's sometimes too hard to do that in these times. Absolutely. hundred percent. I feel that. That got sad, but it's true. It's true. No, but I think, I think a silver lining that you're pointing out is like, so, so often artists are kind of trained to devote your whole life to whatever your craft is. Like you eat, sleep, Mm. breathe theater or music or whatever it is you do. And I think, I think in, in this time, a lot of us that can't do that, we've learned that oh, like there are other parts to being a human. Like there are other enriching things in my life that I can work on and cultivate and try to get better at. Um, And I think it's been a a big silver lining from this time, figuring out what those things are and enjoying getting to work on them. Yeah, and also, yeah, exactly. Taking advantage of that time, a a big part of that is that figuring out those things that you would not normally be able to do, but to utilize this time. And again, that doesn't mean like do something productive. It could be like, I don't know, meeting someone that's in your building that you never got to meet before, of course, mass and socially distanced, but like, because your hours are opposite. All of a sudden, I can't tell you the amount of neighbors that we know and like now are friendly with and are, it feels like we're part of a community. Instead of before, it almost felt like we were just, I mean, Adam, before, right before the shutdown happened, was in, te- was in te- previews. 
and in and it was in previews. So essentially, you guys know what that means. But for those who don't know what that means, it means he was up at 10 a.m. going to the theater to be in rehearsal to change anything from the previous night's show that didn't go well or rehearse it. Then he had a quick lunch break and then was going into a show. So I saw Adam when I picked him up in my car coming home from Dear Evan Hansen, and that is pretty much it. So the fact that we've had time together and, and, and all these other things has truly has also been a silver lining. Oh, definitely. And that definitely hits home for me because before the pandemic, theater was like my only thing that I liked in life. And Mm. I mean, it's, there's so much that we've missed, obviously, but another silver lining for me is that I found my love for American Sign Language and there's zero chance I would have found it if it wasn't for this pandemic. That's true. That's exactly the kind of thing I mean. That's awesome. And it's about holding, I mean, many times a day, Adam and I will, if we're feeling down on a down day, we'll just say to each other, what are you grateful for? What are you grateful for in this moment? Not not yesterday, not tomorrow, not what's gonna happen in a month. What are you grateful for today? And if that is the delicious breakfast sandwich that you just made and ate, or if it's that our dog just had- make very good breakfast sandwiches, I will say. Or if it's that our puppy, you know, after having tummy troubles, have a solid poop. Like, you know, <laughs> it's these are, it's, it's about celebrating those things and being grateful for those things. It's not all about kind of what I can or cannot do within or outside the theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Living in the present. I think that's something that we all kind of had to shift to. I know I tend to not do and we yeah. all had to learn. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. So also, do you guys have like a particular... Yeah. Sorry, yeah. just slowing down. Just oh, slowing sure. down. Yeah, so hard. We're so hard all to do. Real. I have a feeling all four of us in this conversation are not great at that. Yeah. No. <laughs> Can yeah. confirm. Terrible. Yeah. What's Terrible. breathing? I wouldn't know. <laughs> Haven't exhaled since 1998. <laughs> <laughs> so do you guys have a sort of um like a standout virtual or kind of COVID theater or COVID um even just quarantine, like with each other moment that really kind of stands out to you guys or particular memories that stick out? Mm-hmm. I think getting to perform in in Buffalo was pretty that fun. That was absolutely one of those. Yeah, that was, we, um, in November, um, yeah. yeah, what is time? Yeah, November, uh, a friend of ours, Drew Fornarola, uh, who's from Buffalo, New York, he created a a theater up there um, doing really awesome programming during normal times and during pandemic times he uh, wanted to start this sort of virtual streaming cabaret from a really awesome cabaret space uh, in Buffalo so he invited the two of us to come do a set there uh, and it was absolutely bizarre like and terrifying getting on a plane to like pack up and go perform um, which is something that we hadn't done in so long uh, and it was totally weird performing for an empty room, uh, a full cabaret set, but it was a lot of fun to just kind of force yourself to exercise that muscle of like, this is not pre-recorded. This is not like- is live, like what but no I, one's here. Yeah, like whatever I do right now is what someone hopefully somewhere <laughs> is listening to. Um, and it was a lot of fun to get to do a full set together that way. Yeah, there were moments in that where the, the, the like the light went off in my head and my heart got warmed by just that feeling of performing. You know, it took a little bit of time to figure out like, oh. Yeah, there were also several what... moments of like, oh, what is a piano? How oh, do I play? It? I was like, where do I look? <laughs> it was like, I was essentially going through all the, the things that we teach our kids when we're coaching of being like, Zach, what is the moment before? Where are you looking? How are you changing your perspective? Like all these things I had to ask myself to kind of 
recenter every single moment. And I was nervous. Like I was like, uh, but it was good. It was good to remember that feeling. Even just, even however uncomfortable it was, it was, I mean- The blessed unrest, right? Absolutely. It was so, so, so wonderful. Other highlights of the pandemic include spending Christmas, I'm Jewish, but spending my first Christmas really, I guess second Christmas um, in Adam's upstate home um, with his family in Syracuse. Um, that Let's was be really- clear, my, my parents' house, not my yes, not, um, not my my country house that yes. I that I've bought with all of my Broadway money. Yes, that's that'd not- be nice. <laughs> no, um, that was really lovely because it was a time that I mean, my family lives on the West Coast, and so I've really only been able to see them once during the, in the last like a year and a half. And so spending time with family, I really realized how much I've taken that for granted, and just being around family, whether or not it's your blood or your chosen family, is can be so healing. You know, after a while, you're kind of like, okay, should we go home? But it really is so fulfilling and, 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 and feeds your soul in a different way. And then I think the other big highlight for me is probably Scout, the puppy yeah, that we got. Because it, it, she, I mean, every morning I wake up and I open up her crate and she's happy to see me and I cry pretty much. Like it's usually how the morning goes because it, it sounds so dramatic. I don't actually cry, but it's like, you know, opening a door and coming home and, and having an animal love you and show you that much, pa- you know, I don't know. It's just, there's something about that, that right now where you can't feel that embrace of another human besides when you live with, there's something that's so cathartic about that for me. And I've also always wanted a puppy, I'm a dog. And so it really is one of those things that is, has been invaluable to me and my mental health and well-being during this quarantine. Absolutely. That must, I'm, that's amazing. I, that's so cool. I love it. <laughs> so I guess um, my final question for you guys, if you could go back and look at, you know, past Adam and past Zach, you know, like freshman year, college, senior year, high school, and oh tell your past self something, what would you tell them? Ooh, that's a tough one. Ooh, ooh, that's a really good one though. Um, Okay, I think... To, unless you have stop wearing khakis oh my god <laughs> no 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 yeah ditch the cargo shorts uh no i think uh, i think for me it, it all comes down to risk taking i think i would tell myself to be riskier earlier and mm-hmm. i think we all um I don't know, for all the perfectionists in the house, um, of which I am like, yeah, a card carrying member, I feel like I just really have this tendency to um, not want to show things that I'm working on if they're unfinished or to really wait until something is is perfect before I present it. Um, and I think in college, that's kind of a lot of what I did. I was like, I'm going to really aim for the things that I am good at and make sure that I do them really well and the stuff that I'm not great at I'm going to kind of shy away from or I'm going to wait until it gets good enough that I can share it with people um and whether that means like composing or just venturing into different styles of music or any of that stuff I would just tell myself like take more risks sooner like it you there are you have so little to lose at that point in your life like in college it's such a safe space um whereas you know it's not like getting thrown to the wolves in New York if you try to to venture into somewhere new creatively. So I would say, yeah, take more risks. That's great. Um, 
I think I would say a lot of things. I would say, go take piano lessons and why aren't you in a dance class? <clears throat> Those would be like the first two things if I could like transfer back to that. Um, but I don't know. I think that I would, it would be like a mixture of things of be nicer to yourself, be kinder to yourself. Also like chill out. It doesn't matter that much. It really doesn't matter. Like stop, it doesn't matter. Like anything that you're worried about freshman year, Zach, it doesn't matter. Like it's not gonna matter and it doesn't matter for better, for worse. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me that I always try to impress upon anybody that I meet or wants to do this is this idea that we've kind of talked about, about not being the person to tell yourself that you can't do something. I feel like, and this will happen to everyone in high school or college of feeling like pigeonholed or feeling like being told, whether it's by your peers or your faculty or your teachers or your parents, whatever it is that you can or cannot do something, or this is what you should do. And I, it's kind of along with the risks. I would just say, try, if someone says you shouldn't do something, do it. If someone says you can't do something, try it, you know, because you can literally only gain from that. If you fall on your face, you tried. You can say that you tried. Um, because I feel like for me in college, especially, it was a lot of kind of being told what I was and kind of going with that instead of going against that um, and feeling like I could have that autonomy to do it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Those are both good answers. Emily, we're gonna have to come back in like 10 years and see <laughs> yes. what we would say to our junior you year will. of high school selves. Seriously, you will. We'll, we'll revisit. We'll all get together in 20, tw tw uh, 2031. And I'd be curious, <laughs> I'd be curious to see what we would say to our, our pandemic selves. Yeah, 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 we'll all revisit. Like stop baking so much bread or, or put down the cookbook or I don't know, something like that. Stop eating so much bread. Stop watching Friends. Yes, 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 yes that's real. Yes. Well, on that awesome note, I think that we are about ready to close out. So um, if our listeners want to find you guys and connect with you guys, where can they find you? Where can they plug yourselves as you will? Yeah, <laughs> oh gosh. Um, on, on the Insta, I guess. Um, Zach's much better at using social media than I'm I really am. Not. I'm We're really both not. grandpas. We're pretty bad at it, but um, Zach's better than I am. But yeah, it's you can drop your handle if you want. Drop your handle, babe. I uh, uh, I don't even know. Wait, I'm checking oh. my Instagram handle right now. Oh boy. It's- <laughs> We're giving you your time. Take your time, slow down. It's Adam underscore Rothenberg. Oh, a brilliant handle. Brilliant. Thank you. They really, know exactly what to find. Really and similarly, creative. I'm at Zach underscore Pizer. That's my name. And we will be tagging them both on Instagram. Yay. So. Definitely follow thank you them. for helping out the grandpas that don't yeah. know how to actually plug themselves Much and thank you for creating this you know this is even just to revisit some of these memories god i sound so old um i sound like a, i sound like my grandma even just to revisit some of these memories is it i feel like during the pandemic especially as a as a theater artist and in this industry it's easy to just say let's not talk about it because it's too painful but sometimes talking about those things is actually healing in a way. Sounds so cliche, but it really was lovely to kind of talk and revisit some great memories. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you for coming on and for yes. letting us hear your stories and swapping everything with us. And we're so glad that we got to chat with you guys today. Thank you so much. Yay. Of course. So thank everyone. Thank you all so much for listening and tune in next time and see you later. Bye. Bye.